Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Folks, before we get into the show, wanted to tell you that you could save 15% at sodastick.com by using the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at checkout. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com for your Minnesota sports-inspired hats, hoodies, shirts. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER at sodastick.com. How do you know it's draft season? Here's how you know. Welcome into another episode of Purple Insider. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, is back on the show. Fresh off of watching Senior Bowl tape, grinding out your scouting grade book, Chris, which you've been putting out there. I mean, it is exciting times in our life. Welcome back. And this is our opportunity to announce that you will be doing a weekly show here leading up to the draft. And uh, I'm going to dig up the intro. We had an intro for you too, the Chris Trapasso yeah. draft show. It's back, baby. Good evening and welcome to the NFL draft. Draft season is here. Come on, come on. There you go. To break down every need. They're not going to pick a quarterback. They need offensive linemen. They need defense. Every pro day. He had a phenomenal pro day. Explosive, really good in the three cone, the broad jump. And every mock. You could probably tell me if you think the Vikings would actually do it. I can tell you as a draft analyst that they absolutely should. Welcome to the Chris Trapasso Draft Show on Purple Insider. This is a good podcast to listen to leading into the draft. I am so excited to be here, Matt, again. Last year, we kind of just stumbled into it. Like, you were coming on my podcast. I occasionally, when something big was happening, jumped on this podcast. But now we're a little more structured. We're seasoned veterans doing this together now. And it's draft season. The Senior Bowl's done. I'm super excited for the Super Bowl, just being a, a, a lover of the NFL. But I'm really excited to dive fully into the NFL draft and to be on this podcast for such a fascinating offseason for the Viking, defensive turnover potentially, and all about the quarterbacks. I'm really looking forward to diving deep with you, and maybe not ranting too long, but diving deep with you um, about everything draft as it pertains to the Vikings over the next couple months. Oh, we're going to rant. Oh, there will be a rant. <laughs> there have already been some on the show where I've completely lost my mind about the weak quarterback draft, which of course is mm-hmm. where we're going to start. But if people yep. want to read your work, cbssports.com and on Twitter at Chris Trapasso, which is trap and then asso. Uh, so um, just, just in case people are listening for the first time, because it's actually been really interesting to see the number of fans who have joined as listeners of the show just within the last few weeks, uh, which I think is reflective of what you were just saying is that the Zimmer and Spielman era drained 
the souls out of many <laughs> Vikings fans. And they just could not wait to have this thing hit an entire refresh button. So before we get into the quarterbacks and what happened at the senior bowl, I just want to ask your opinion about when you are leading into draft season and you look at a team that is starting anew with a new general manager and a new coach, like how difficult is that to figure out what they're going to do? Because by the time we got to uh, this last draft season, I mean, we kind of knew exactly the way the Vikings were going to play it. The only question was, would they actually change course? And they didn't. So we kind of knew the answers to the test before it came. Now there's so many storylines with this new group in, in Quasi Adafo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell that we really don't know how they want to handle the draft. Yeah, I think it makes it a lot more fascinating. I, I mean, there is a school of thought that could say, hey, like we've seen a Rick Spielman draft over the last decade or whatever it was. We know the exact prototypes of what they like at edge, at corner, when they like to pick those positions. That's fun. But I think the draft, and you certainly know, Matt, it is such a chaotic time. The pre-draft process, anonymous sources, uh, the f- uh, frenzy of the undrafted free agent market that happens right after the draft. Um, it, it kind of plays into that. If you have a brand new fresh start, new front office, new GM, new head coach that you go in and say, Hey, I have no idea what they're going to do. That makes it a lot more fun. Um, but certainly as a draft analyst, I, I kind of take it the same way that um, I'm not really sure what these new organization or, or, or these new front office structures will ultimately do so you can't have the prototype you don't know what they're going to do i i think though for the vikings the fact that they have two younger guys l- likely progressive types that are going to deal with analytics they're going to look to throw the ball more frequently on first down has to be refreshing maybe not just so for the draft but for fall 2022 and beyond for this vikings team that was certainly productive was not a laughing stock of the NFC, but was kind of playing a style of football that was uh, more aligned with it at least a decade ago in the NFL. Yeah. And I also think that one thing that the Vikings really sunk into, like you mentioned, was kind of repeating the same thing, hoping for the outliers that they had hit on in the past. So yep. when it got to the fifth round, like, Hey, everybody, they're drafting a receiver. Like, uh, yeah, because they hit on Stefan Diggs in the fifth round. And it was, oh, mm-hmm. the third round. Here comes the defensive end. And whoop, it's Patrick yep. Jones, um, who got a little playing time this year. I, I don't know that he's going to be a big part of the future, but, you know, first year type of guy. But we knew, oh, look, Janarius Robinson, a tall guy with traits, or, you know, it's just the, these same sort of things. Uh, is there something, though, that Cleveland did? that you think that Quasi Adolfo Mensa would have said, hey, Andrew Barry and your front office, you guys kind of do it this way. I like that. Let me bring it over. Well, I think it's everything about the analytics side of things for the draft. That I think when people, when fans hear analytics today, they're thinking of, like we mentioned, you know, passing on first down and like what we saw was such a big storyline for this NFL season going forward on fourth down. Well, I think we don't know or set out there in the public that much about all the analytics that go into the draft. I actually think Matt, you do a great job uh, letting your listeners know about, you know, athleticism and percentiles in the, uh, at a certain position in the three cone drill and what's a good three cone time. And, and, and hopefully I can be someone that can provide some of that insight as well. I think Andrew Barry, his first draft was all about athleticism with Greg Newsom, Jeremiah, Owusu-Koromoa in the second round, Anthony Schwartz was a 
big play threat at Auburn that they picked in the third round, the wide receiver, ran really fast at the Auburn Pro Day. So I, I'm a big believer in, and it's not just because, you know, I mean, to tie into the Vikings, Donnell Hunter, Stephon Diggs. Uh, when in doubt, draft the freak. That's kind of a draft Twitter philosophy. And the analytics will show that most of the elite talents at the NFL level are the guys that were really, really big time athletes that maybe they had differing um, careers in college in terms of productivity, maybe with injuries, playing time, positional roles that didn't really fit them. Um, But most of the really good players are the big time athletes. Um, And Cleveland did get a lot of return from Greg Newsome and Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa last year, their first two draft picks. And just being analytics and numbers based and trying to remove as much of the emotion um, and the human biases from the draft process is something I try to do. And I think this new GM having just spent that time with Andrew Barry in Cleveland, will probably see that if there is going to be this new template that he follows, I mean, we'll certainly see, you know, the, the, the lengths of arms and the 40 time thresholds that he has, but the fact that he's very analytics based is I think the underlying foundation that we'll see for these Vikings drafts in April and into the future. So don't let me forget. I have a little game for you at the end based on freakish athletes from uh, their combine data, but uh, you know, you make a a really interesting point. Um, You know, I think that one thing we can glean from Cleveland is that they seem to be very aware of what the universe thought of the prospects and they seem to do a great job of getting players who the world ranked higher than where they picked them. And Owusu Koromo is a great example of this where the data has shown and our, our friend Arif Hassan has done some work on this, that the consensus draft boards that he puts together, if you compare them to the guys who are reach draft picks, they're much more likely to bust than the guys who drop, which it's basically an even play for a normal draft pick in the guy's regular spot. So Owusu Koromoa drops, but that's a good draft pick because that's somebody that a lot of evaluators had as being much higher. But if you take Alex Leatherwood and he was supposed to be more of a second round prospect, but you take him in the middle of the first, you are putting your life in your hands with a reach. So it's kind of like that type of philosophy. Here's another one I think of too with Owusu Koromoa. He was a guy that was like very versatile, this really intriguing hybrid type of player. Uh, that's a modern type thing. Uh, a corner is one of the most valuable positions in the league. So you want to find a shutdown yep. corner. If you draft the same level prospect, but I take a guard and you take a corner, like your corner is likely to be worth more value, wins above replacement, whatever, over a number of years. I think that's the edge that a lot of teams are starting to try to get and starting to catch on with the don't draft running backs. But I think that's an edge there is everybody might have a 40% chance of being a hit. But if your 40% is a corner and my 40% is a guard, you're getting more out of your 40% than I am. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's something that I certainly bake into my evaluations uh, for CBSSports.com. Like in my scouting grade book, um, I have position addition. And, and, and I mentioned it last year. And just for the new listeners, it's just a way to not just have uh, skill and talent categories to grade each position, but like running backs get zero boost. Quarterbacks get a huge boost. Receivers and corners get a big boost. Offensive tackles get a pretty large boost. Uh, guards, not as much. So I, I think 
that's a really good point. And also with Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa, beyond being the uh, you know player that fell, that everyone's like, how is this guy still available? He's a linebacker. There is debate, I think. You could have a different analyst on who would think differently that, oh, linebackers aren't really that important now, but Owusu-Kormoa is that coverage linebacker that, to me, is extremely valuable in today's NFL. It's a two-linebacker league today, and if one of your linebackers of those two – when you're a nickel can cover running backs and tight ends very well and can be an effective blitzer like Owusu Kormo was, then I think that's one of the most valuable pieces on defense because that's the player that um, opposing offenses are trying to get in a mismatch. And if that guy's not someone that's a liability in those areas, that's a huge win. Most defenses that are the top defenses in football have at least one of those good linebackers. I think the Vikings having Eric Kendricks in that role for a long time, and certainly Anthony Barr, that was a huge bonus for that defense. So, yes, I think from his time with the Browns, look back even to San Francisco, that a lot of the players when he was the director of football research um, were on that NFC title team, were on the team that made the Super Bowl two years ago um, to, to not only pick the guys that fall, but also place a legitimate positional value. If all of these GMs are saying, we're always going with the best player available regardless of need. Well, if that's really true, then you better be picking corners. You better be picking offensive tackles, obviously quarterbacks, the higher value positions. And it seems like he has um, experience doing that when he was in San Francisco and then over the past two seasons with the Browns. Right. So even though the draft is random and we never know how it's going to work out as every draft proves to you, just go back. Anybody take a look at that 2020 draft and the players who were taken before Justin Jefferson. <laughs> it's all a lot of random, but uh, you know, you would still defend the Eagles picking the position they picked, but maybe the mm -hmm. problem is they reached to get Jalen Rager as opposed to Justin Jefferson. Jefferson is the guy who fell. And so you're just trying to increase your odds of getting a super valuable player outside of the quarterback position where it's always, if you hit, like it changes your whole franchise. You're always mm -hmm. just trying to increase those odds ever so much or increase the value that you get out of it ever so much. And I think that's going to be interesting to see how Quasi Adafo Mensa evaluates all of those things. Cause as you mentioned, there's no hard and fast rules. Like do you draft a linebacker? We shouldn't say never, but if you draft Jordan Brooks, like Seattle did, I mean, you're taking your life in your hands because that's just like a run stuffing linebacker in the first round. That's like yeah. very clear that even if this guy's great, he just does nothing for you. This, I would even argue that like Quentin Nelson, like what has he been really worth? I mean, I, I think he's an incredible player and an incredible player, but what does it mean? Like, what does it mean to be really good at run blocking in the NFL? I mean, he's, he's great, but having the best guard, what did it really do for you? So I don't know that I, I mean, I would take him on my team. I'm not insulting Quentin Nelson. It's just that offensive lines are five man units. So if you have Nelson and no one else, it means nothing, right? Yeah. So it's, we, it's not like a yeah. receiver who can kind of do the job himself. Yeah. We could have a whole podcast on this and maybe we will, the positional value. And, and this is not mm -hmm. knocking Quentin Nelson, not knocking any other draft analysts, but any big boards you see, Truly, and, and this might be like a hot take on the first episode, any big board you see that has a running back inside the top 32 players, I can't take it 100% seriously. And, mm -hmm. and I always go back to, and this is a story that I told last draft season, and I'll just start off this episode with it. 2018 draft class, the Quentin Nelson draft class, the, all the quarterbacks, I had 
Saquon Barkley as my like number seven overall player. And I remember, I think writing like this even feels too high. And like everyone loves Saquon Barkley. He was the gold standard for running back prospects. He was fast. He was big, everything. After that, I filled out and finished building my scouting grade book and was like, I need to have position addition in here. And now running backs are all like, 55 for me overall, uh, 62. And like, they're really, they're like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Like I liked those prospects. I think Jonathan Taylor to bring it uh, back to the Colts was like the highest I've ever had since then because, and, and he was like in the forties and that's even seemed kind of high. So definitely if the Vikings are having to rebuild the defense, uh, certainly quarterback, which we'll talk about a lot. If they are making those early round picks at receiver at corner, um, offensive tackle, a, a specific type of linebacker like an Eric Kendricks type that is going to be sensational for you in pass coverage, that is definitely an edge for them moving forward. Right, and I just want to be clear. I'm not saying that having great guards won't help you because we've seen the opposite here. <laughs> yeah. It's just more of weak link systems. So you can have Brian O'Neill, who's spectacular, and have the 27th-ranked pass-blocking team because the other three or four guys can't pass block and it doesn't mean Mm -hmm. a whole lot Um, so that should influence the way teams build their offensive lines which is not to spend huge draft capital on one player and your point about the running backs I mean Leonard Fournette is what fourth overall Alvin Kamara is a third round pick one has been way better than the other and that's just like how it goes with that position all the time so let's talk about the quarterbacks in the senior bowl um, I love all of them equally. They can draft any one of them. It's fine. Uh, this, this is actually funny because so often there's huge debates between is this guy better than that guy? And is Mac Jones mobile enough? And then some draft analysts loved Mac Jones. Some draft analysts said, no, you can't draft somebody who doesn't move around. And then, you know, we also, the book's not written on any of these guys after one year, Mac Jones is ahead, but Justin Fields or Trey Lance could be better by next year. We really won't know until the end of next year, how this plays out. But uh, you know, this year there doesn't seem to be like this vicious debate that's going to play out. It's kind of like every one of these guys, you could see it. And every one Mm -hmm. of these guys, you could see why it wouldn't be. So what, what did you take from the senior bowl from watching Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Sam Howell, and uh, Desmond Ritter. All right, I'll go three main things that I took away. Number one, and this is in no particular order. uh, Number one, Kenny Pickett's arm was like a clear step behind everyone there. And that's even including Bailey Zappi, who's the Western Kentucky guy that threw 62 touchdowns. He'll probably get drafted somewhere on the you know early third day. He kind of feels like maybe he can be that riser. But like when it came to even Desmond Ritter, definitely Sam Howell, and certainly Malik Willis, I was like a little bummed that I was like, man, like every Kenny Pickett throw seems just the miles per hour just are not there. Uh, in drills, getting it vertical, it just seemed like it took an extra split second to get down there. And I don't like to see any of these quarterbacks just like look clearly bad when all the you know the spotlight is on them. That I took away. I took away that Malik Willis. Um, the situation wasn't too big from him. Like I, I think maybe the fact he started at Auburn, people didn't really assume that. But this was a Liberty quarterback that, if you see um, a, a weaknesses section of a scouting report for him, it's going to say you know he played lesser competition. I don't think he looked like you know the defensive backs were moving too fast for him, breaking on the football, anything like that. 
Um, so that was certainly a plus for him. And everything else from Malik Willis was really as I expected. And the third thing was that I really liked the week that Desmond Ritter had. That, to me, he kind of uh, is going to be that quarterback in this draft class. Like you mentioned, that you can see it with him, but then you could also be talked out of him. And that he, he's not going to be uh, the sexiest quarterback prospect. I, I don't think he's going to rise inside the top 15 or top 10 but he almost feels like that quarterback that will ultimately land with a pretty stable, good franchise, maybe in the late first or late second. And then in a few years, he's not lighting up the league, but like he's on a team that's winning 10 or 11 games. And then maybe down the road, he actually matures and becomes the reason why his team is winning. So I, I just, that's kind of how I felt about him on film, but I just thought at the senior bowl, his mobility, the arm was up there with Sam Howell, close to Malik Willis, ahead of Kenny Pickett. The accuracy was good in the game and in practices. Um, so those were the three main takeaways I had, just really zeroing in on the quarterbacks in Mobile. Yeah, Ritter had a couple of plays that sort of stuck in my mind. One of them was a very NFL play where he ran a bootleg and he had a couple of options, kind of the levels type of thing, short, medium, mm -hmm. and long. And he threw the intermediate route just on time, on the money, executed perfectly with the footwork, the boot, whatever. There was a guy kind of coming up field at him. He stopped in the right spot, set and through. And, you know, that's just one play. But with the senior bowl, you kind of have to take only a few plays. Malik Willis threw a couple of rockets that were dropped and he ended up with 11 yards. But you're like, man, that football went really fast. But Ritter looked like the guy who knew what he was doing as a quarterback yes. the most. That was kind mm -hmm. of my takeaway. Yeah, and I think that kind of shows on film too, and it speaks to his experience at Cincinnati, how many games he played, and I'm, I'm not sure what the number is. I'll, I'll certainly have it memorized by at least March, hopefully, um, definitely by April. But I, I, you know, multiple years of starting experience, played in a lot of big games. I thought his film against Notre Dame when they beat the Irish in South Bend was awesome. Like they got a big lead. They felt a little comeback. He made good throws down the seam. He just seemed comfortable. And like you mentioned, just like ready. Okay, look, I'm going to get a blitz here. This is going to be a bootleg into it, but I'm ready for it. And he doesn't wow you with his with his athleticism. Not crazy arm talent, but it's all like good enough. It's above average. And he took that from multiple years as a starter with the uh, uh, Bearcats and really looked apart, calm, cool, and collected at the Senior Bowl. Now, the, let's talk about the picket thing, because here come the draft reports, Chris. Uh, some people came away from that. And in Senior Bowl, he went six for six on one drive. One throw was a little bit off uh, that could have been, I think, much more had he led the guy correctly. But all the reports now are, well, watch out for Kenny Pickett as a top draft pick. And look, I, I don't mean to be the person who says watch out for draft misinformation because I don't want to <laughs> sound like this is like draft Rogan here or something, but like it, this is something. I mean, there's the one time where Mel Kuyper says he'll quit football. If Jimmy Clausen is the top, top draft yep. pick, not only was he not the top draft pick, he wasn't even a first rounder. And then he was one of the most horrific quarterbacks in the league that we've seen over the last 20 years. Like the reports are always very sketch is what I would say. So when they come out of the senior bowl and I hear Kenny Pickett might be top five, 
I think that that's possible because of the value of quarterbacks and like, it's always worth it. And there was criticisms for other quarterbacks who went top five too, like Justin Herbert, or was he six, but uh, yeah, six, but you know what I mean? But this one, this one's a little, a little spotty to me with the, with the Kenny Pickett love. Cause it felt to me more like you should come out of the senior bowl thinking Willis is the guy who gets taken this high because of his physical skills and not Pickett. So what do you kind of make of that? Yeah, I didn't understand that either, but it was just kind of preparing me, like you're saying, for we're going to see a lot of misinformation. That's kind of the phrase that we're all using now, right, with Joe Rogan stuff, uh, that it didn't make sense. Like, just to watch the game and see that he didn't have an incompletion, that's not what, based on my experience, what a lot of the uh, GMs, head coaches, directors of college scouting take from that week. It's always the week of practice more so than the game. Cause they know there's a lot of moving parts in the game. You can't blitz. It's gotta be cover two or cover four, whatever. It's more about the practices. And I don't think Kenny Pickett was atrocious. I thought he was pretty good during practice. I don't think he was, Oh shit. This guy is going to be a top five pick all of a sudden. And for as much as I love the senior bowl, I think the job that Jim Nagy and before him, Phil Savage have done to make this like a premier event that people want to watch um, you know, with the media access, finding guys like Kyle Duggar from uh, Lenore Ryan and what the corner from Washita Baptist, uh, Gregory Jr. Like to give those players opportunities is great. I, I do as a draft analyst, and I'm not trying to like speak from an ivory tower, but as a draft analyst to start the process a little bit earlier than most in, in NFL media, um, say November, December, I'm starting to watch guys and finalize grades and stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden the senior bowl happens. And then suddenly Perry and Winfrey, the defensive tackle from Oklahoma is like, Oh, he's a first rounder now when his film really is not that good. Like he, he looked like maybe a day, like late day two, early day three guy. And then all of a sudden three days of practice at the senior bowl and a strong performance in the game, like skyrockets everyone i know coaches are getting kind of caught up like coaches that were in the playoffs they haven't watched anything they kind of get injected into the scouting process um but yeah that's kind of how i felt hearing that kenny pickett and and seeing that kenny pickett report that it was like i don't think anyone really took that anyone of that really matters took that away from the week that he had at the senior bowl I'm not trying. I'm not trying to downgrade Kenny Pickett as a prospect myself, because like we we're saying, a lot of these guys are like playing, and uh, I like that he's got a little swag to him. Uh, mm-hmm. I like that he. I like that how irritated he acted about the hand thing. Yeah, that I think mad. that I think that when Tom Pelissero was interviewing him, he thought he was going to be like, "Ha ha, this is so funny, right?" Kenny Pickett was just like, "No, nah, my hands are fine," and it was like. Okay, this guy hates that thing, which is cool. Like, I mean, you should like you should have that sort of edge about it. Um, and Dane Brugler reported that he came out of the interviews strongly, which does not surprise me. Also, like that he has creativity in his game, and I don't just mean the fake slide, but I mean outside the pocket. And there were a lot of times where he was on the move, or he needed to kind of figure something out, or throw into. Uh, traffic and and find a play there. But the only thing is I watched a couple of his games, which is, you know, surprising. He's one of the few guys that I've watched bef- like by now. I've maybe seen Ken, um, Howell like one time. Otherwise college football is hard to keep up on in the NFL season, but yeah, I think he had some receivers, man. 
I mean, I, I think you could just lay that ball out there and there were some players and I know this was a Mac Jones point too, but that would be my one thing about Pickett is when somebody sort of shows up and emerges and they've got all those receivers. I know Joe Burrow had this happen too, but that's also Joe Burrow. He was number one prospect clearly. That's the only thing that I hesitate a little bit with Pickett. You mentioned the arm strength, but also the like, did circumstances help him here? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Jordan Addison, his number one wide receiver, who I believe won the Bolitnikoff Award, uh, is going to be a first-round pick next year. Like He reminds me of like Stephon Diggs. He was like 19 years old, and he had like 800-yard games this season. So it certainly helps to have like a legitimate first-round wide receiver. Um, his running backs were really good catching the ball out of the backfield as well. Um, but I, I think you can look at that both ways and say, you know, the Mac Jones Tua thing where they threw to four first round wide receivers, which is incredible. Um, but then Joe Burrow had uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, like a ridiculous set of or top pair at LSU. And to tie in Joe Burrow, I'll get this out of the way. I, I do think stylistically Kenny Pickett reminds me a lot of Joe Burrow. Because like you mentioned, their games are creative. They're not freaky athletes by any stretch. They get the most out of their athleticism. They have that swagger on the field. They'll dive for a first down if they need to. You're surprised sometimes watching Kenny Pickett that he's able to elude a 260-pound defensive end and, and still either dive for the first down or find a receiver down the field. I think that happened a lot with Joe Burrow at LSU and certainly has happened in his first two seasons with the Bengals. The one area, though, and it's a big one, that I don't think Kenny Pickett really meets the Joe Burrow threshold is accuracy. Like Joe Burrow at LSU, pinpoint accuracy. I think Pickett throws with anticipation like Burrow did, and that comes from his experience. But the drop the ball in a bucket on almost every deep ball uh, to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase would certainly help. I didn't see that as frequently with Kenny Pickett. That's not to say his ball placement is bad and that's like an area that he really needs to improve, but how they play is very, very similar. Besides I just saw more misses from Kenny Pickett in his breakout season than I saw from Joe Burrow in 2019. Let's talk about Sam Howell. Um, yeah. Look, I, I know he looks like Baker Mayfield, but we need He's to not, not do that. Not Baker we Mayfield. Need, right. We need to not do that because this is, uh, this is something I, I got a ton from, and if, People could dig it up. It's really interesting that the uh, Houston Rockets did this massive analysis of their own scouting processes that was just mm. like really instructive. I'll send you the article because it's so interesting. I would love it. Yeah, I would love that. And one of the things that they found was when players look like other players, they tend to, even if their skills are different, the scouts tended to, I mean, we're human. This happens, right? Is you see, and this has been, uh, black quarterbacks have been victimized by this forever, where it's like, well, that guy kind of looks like that guy and his skin and his size, and so they must be similar, right? And I remember dealing with this with EJ Manuel, where people would, you know, tweet me or whatever when EJ was coming out or when he was early in his Bills career and be like, he could be like Cam Newton. You're like, no, he cannot be like Cam Newton. <laughs> no, he cannot. Cause he's not anywhere. Their games near that. were not. Yeah. No, they were not no. at all the same. He's not anywhere near an athlete of Cam Newton. Who's one of the great no. athletes in the history of the NFL. So that was kind of the point though. It was like, Oh, a big guy who can kind of run. That must be that thing. And the, the Vikings are guilty of this with, Oh, a tall guy who's lanky, who didn't get sacks. He must be Daniel Hunter. Um, <laughs> 
So I, I don't think that there's a, a ton that's similar here, but the one thing that you do see is um, the guy has an arm, like he can really throw mm-hmm. the football. And I also think that he's strong. Like yep. there were times where guys were trying to take him down and they couldn't. And he just was like, he's like a thick boy. And uh, it was impressive from that element because in the senior bowl, the offensive line gets killed every year. It's just sad. It's like the defensive line kills the offensive line. And I thought Howell held up really well in that game after the defensive line was just demolishing what he had in front of him. Yeah, that's a really good point. All those points on Sam Howell and that not only does he look like Baker Mayfield, I think the fact that he's a little shorter and has a surprisingly good arm like Baker Mayfield, uh, that kind of helped those comparisons in the summer um but certainly watching his film this year i i didn't see baker mayfield at, at oklahoma whatsoever um when i was watching sam howell and but that's one other point from the senior bowl was a little surprising with the weigh-ins that sam howell and malik willis were almost identical like they were just over six foot and over 220 pounds so they're both like built like a power back and that certainly showed on film with sam howell like you mentioned scrambling a little bit in the design run game. He's not quite the athlete of any of those quarterbacks we were talking about. I don't think he's going to be a designed run game quarterback, but he can deliver some hits in the open field and he has the body to do it. Um, Ironically, and and I was looking while you were talking, I was listening, but I was looking at something. January 19th, I tweeted uh, that Sam Howell does not remind me of Baker Mayfield. He reminds me of a more polished, Joshua Dobbs. And I know your listeners probably are like, oh, that's like the third stringer on the on the Steelers. Go just if your listeners want uh pretty close to the same scouting report that I have on Sam Howell, go look up Lance Zerline from NFL.com, type in Joshua Dobbs. Like I think you just type in NFL draft or, or, or NFL.com scouting report. Very, very similar players that big arm runner but not someone that you're going to lean on his legs in an NFL offense accuracy is a little bit hit or miss you'll see some wow throws from the far hash to the deep sideline like a a deep corner route or a a long post route that he can really drive the football Um, and the pocket awareness pocket presence still needs some work I mean Joshua Dobbs has flashed a little bit the fact that he hasn't played could be maybe more due to circumstance um, so that's not like trashing Sam Howell and me saying, hey, he's a QB three in the NFL. But stylistically, he's a lot more similar to the former Tennessee Volunteers quarterback than he is to Baker Mayfield, who was like hyper accurate and didn't really run too much at Oklahoma. They're just not similar players. I think, though, Sam Howell feels like that late first round prospect that hopefully, like I mentioned with Desmond Ritter for him, can land on a good team, won't ask him to play right away, and he can develop a little bit more calmness inside the pocket to not drop his eyes as quickly and try to turn into a runner. I think getting one hit from an NFL linebacker, he might learn that quickly that he's not going to be able to run like he did in the ACC. But if we're all about this being an arm talent league and having some athleticism to extend plays, Sam Howell would certainly tick both those boxes. Yeah, anybody, if you're a runner in college and you go to the NFL, you better be an unbelievable runner to run in the mm-hmm. NFL. I mean, you better be Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson to really run. That's different than make plays, uh, yeah. you know, outside of structure and outside of the pocket. Uh, but the biggest thing for me was Baker 
and, and it hasn't really translated to the NFL the way that I thought it might. Uh, I was always concerned about his personality that translated, but yes. the accuracy at Oklahoma, like broke PFF system. He was so accurate. I mean, he was just pinpoint on everything, his timing, his delivery, the just the general look of the football, but like his right on the receiver's numbers. That's not what you see out of Sam Howell. To me, Sam Howell is like bazooka ball or yeah. run. Is <laughs> kind of what I saw in the couple of games. And then with even with the senior bowl, even though I thought he handled it well with the pressure, it was a lot of run. He would sort of just take off and that's how he scored a touchdown. So, I mean, this is the whole point about this is like, this is the different strengths and weaknesses of this class where you don't have someone where you can just say, oh, well, Howell is by far my favorite because of this, because we could talk each other in and out, which is going to be a game someday, talk <laughs> each other in and out of, of every quarterback prospect. Yeah, one thing I just want to say quickly before it, it leaves my mind, and that happens a lot, especially when we're talking. Um, I will say when it comes tying this back to Mac Jones and Tua, the talent that you have around a quarterback. I was recently on Dave Damashek's podcast, and I, I said something along these lines that when you draft a quarterback, and this was pertinent, and I'm glad that I'm getting this out in the first episode, when you draft a quarterback, and the Vikings certainly could be in the market, to me, if that quarterback is a bust or not, is more on the team than the quarterback in most situations. Like we've had like Blaine Gabbert going in the first round that had no business doing that. But in general, I think the NFL as a whole, uh, scouting departments collectively do a good job like identifying, all right, these are like the three maybe first rounders. The quarterbacks that that don't work out are in bad situations. That Everyone understands that. What I'll say with Sam Howell is, we got a glimpse of what he can do in an offense with a good offensive line, good running backs, and two receivers who can get open, two NFL-caliber receivers and Daz Newsome um, and Dimey Brown. So the fact that he was doing that as a sophomore at like 20, 19 or 20 years old, I think that will be something that will allow teams to talk themselves into Sam Howell because you know he loses all the talent. The offensive line's not as good. He had one decent receiver, uh, Josh Downs. But beyond that, they understood. I, I think that's why he's still you know, on the first-round radar is that, oh, he didn't really have a lot around him. If you draft Sam Howell and you give him a similar offense to what he had in terms of relative to the competition this past season at North Carolina, oh, yeah, he's going to play like he did last this past season, and you're going to be without a job if you're the GM. So I think that's the one kind of fascinating thing about Sam Howell is that Early in his career, when he was playing with 22 and 23-year-olds, he was super-duper productive. And if you draft him, that's the type of environment you need to put him in. And the Vikings can with anyone that they draft yeah. is giving yes, them absolutely. Justin Jefferson. It's just a cheat code. I mean, this is yeah. like it's a cheat code that Kirk Cousins has had when we an analyze his play. And I'll see people say, I mean, how are you going to replace a guy who puts up numbers like that? I'm like, Case Keenum put up numbers with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. Case Keenum. So did Sam Bradford. They all, they all had their best years ever. All these guys with these receivers, like this can be done. It's not like mm -hmm. nobody could ever step in and play this way. Uh, I saved the best for last. You know why? Because uh, the podcast data says people listen to the whole show. So mm -hmm. I don't have to pick number one worst uh, first and just get it over with. YouTube is different. People watch like four minutes of an eight minute video and go do something else. Anyway, uh, Malik Willis, he is your QB one spoiler. Yes. Um, now Mike Renner of PFF, who, you know, yep. made this comparison on the, uh, PFF, uh, 
draft guide, Cordell Stewart. Tell me that you love it because I love it. I just love that he used Cordell Stewart. I mean, this was our game from last year was comparing yeah. the quarterbacks to the 90s guys. And uh, tell me tell me what you think of that and why he's your QB1. I, I love the 90s comparison first off. Obviously, I mean, looking back, like Cordell Stewart was playing in the complete wrong era. I mean, yes. I, I remember <laughs> Slash. I, I can't say I was like analyzing football at that point. I think I was like in elementary school, middle school when he was like kind of taking over the league for what, like a year or two, and then was a serviceable player for the Steelers. Um, I think Willis, from what I remember from Cordell Stewart, obviously, um, I think Willis is further ahead of where Cordell Stewart was as a passer and where we collectively believe that every raw and athletic quarterback is. Like watching Malik Willis's film, and I feel like I, I have a good perspective on this because of just witnessing what's happened with Josh Allen. Watching him at Liberty face a team that has similar talent to Liberty, I did not see any issues with accuracy. I saw him throwing rockets in between the numbers over and over again, intermediate, down the field. There was one interception, I want to say it was against Middle Tennessee State, um, that was underthrown. Besides that, and this is not watching highlights, obviously, Every deep ball in stride, big time throw, big time throw. I think he led PFF in big time throws at the college level this past season. And it, it kind of felt like Josh Allen, but now I'm starting to see like, oh, he, you know, other scouting reports. He's that raw and athletic, unpolished, you know, inaccurate passer. You got to get, I don't really think he has this innate problem guiding the football to its targets. I think maybe Cordell Stewart to just kind of tie it back to that was not really that advanced as a passer. And that's why they wanted to use him in a variety of ways with that bill or with those bill Cower teams. But I, I think certainly Malik Willis will have to learn how to read coverages a little bit better, understand that it's fine to just get rid of the football into the flat instead of holding onto it, holding onto it and maybe making a play with your legs. And that's certainly something that Josh Allen had to kind of dial back um, once he got to the NFL that he was always trying to make a big play uh, threw a lot of those hero ball interceptions early, took a lot of sacks. Um, but the one thing I will say to kind of wrap this is that taking sack, like a ton of sacks as a young quarterback, especially one who is athletic, is not super uncommon. And I don't think it is a gigantic red flag. Deshaun Watson, go look at his first couple seasons with the Houston Texans. An insane amount of sacks. Joe Burrow took the most sacks in the NFL this year. Josh Allen took a ton of sacks. I bet if you go back, over the last five or so years, as we've seen this proliferation of young athletic quarterbacks enter the league and succeed, they're taking a lot of sacks. It's kind of like in basketball where they say like, what, like young point guards turn the ball over a lot earlier in their careers. Like that just happens. So I, I think the the one thing that I'm not agreeing with on Malik Willis so far is that he is uh, not accurate with the football. And I think any of your listeners could go watch the film and they would come away with a similar takeaway. And I, I think he does need to get rid of the ball a little bit more uh, quicker than he did at Liberty. But the tools, man, are just, especially Vikings fans, after years of Kirk Cousins, the tools are just on a complete another level. Arm talent, arm strength, and certainly his ability to scramble and be useful in the design run game. 
the similarity that I see with Cordell Stewart is that everything was a Nolan Ryan fastball. And the same thing yes. goes for Malik you know, just like winding up and letting loose to like, whoa, you don't need to show off the cannon every single time. Some stats, though, uh, from the PFF guide here. Um, pressure to sack rate, which means how often he gets pressured and then it turns into a sack, was very good. He was 10th uh, in the nation. Third in big-time throw percentage is, is where they have him in this. And 19th. Oh, yeah, 19th in deep yards. So, and then of course, always the guys who are more athletic take longer to throw the ball. Uh, Russell Wilson had this problem as well. Try to make plays, you get sacks. Sometimes there's one yard sacks that you get dinged for. Like these, like you said, these things happen. Or if you're Russell Wilson, you start running backwards and lose 30 yards on one play, and like that, really, <laughs> that really looks bad. Um, but you know, I think that it's great detail. If I were to rank them right now, and I will tell you this, Chris, I know very little. Like, this is the scratching the surface. I mean, the Senior Bowl is my first look. We also didn't talk about Matt Corral, but we'll have plenty of time to do that. Uh, We're just kind of focusing on the Senior Bowl guys. Uh, I would have Willis at the top with you, then Corral next, Pickett after that, and then Ritter and Howell. That's how I've got them right now. This can change. I haven't sat down to watch them because of coaching change and GM change and everything else. That's how I have them right now. How does that compare to you? Very similar. I have Malik Willis at one, Kenny Pickett at two, Desmond Ritter at three, mm-hmm. Matt Corral at four, and Sam Howell at five. And that's Okay, so I have Corral a lot higher than you. Yeah, I think only – don't you have – Corral. I had him at two. I had Corral. Oh, at two. two. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I'm a little bit in. I found that I'm a little bit lower on Matt Corral than the consensus. Um, but the one thing I, I can say too is that in tying back the – we all understand that the team situation matters. I guess I've kind of tried to envision it like backwards, like to use like a, a, a trendy phrase, reverse engineer uh, how these quarterbacks can ultimately play. I'm trying to envision, all right, let's use the Vikings for an example. Which one of these quarterbacks could be the highest level producer in this Vikings offense? Like picture them, hey, we drafted the right offensive line. We have the superstar receiver. We get other weapons. Who would be the best player and produce at the highest rate uh, at the quarterback spot? And to me, that's Malik Willis. And that's really true for any of these quarterbacks in this draft class. That was kind of, part i mean that certainly is not in his scouting report because that's all about traits but that's just how i i see because of the traits that he has i think if you do build it the right way through your front office and through free agency in the draft he can give you more than any of the other quarterbacks in this draft class okay here's the game to finish it off so you're familiar with of course relative athletic scores brilliant website that combines combine data to create a percentile athlete which I guess the NFL missed that Justin Jefferson was a 97th percentile athlete when they were worried about his burst or whatever. Anyway, uh, so we mentioned Cordell Stewart. He is fifth since this data started being gathered in 1987 from relative athletic scores. Can you name the four quarterbacks who have higher athletic scores all time than Cordell Stewart? And it's nobody crazy. I mean, I, here's how I search this is that they made at least one pro bowl. So like there's other guys who are complete, but like, so guys who made at least one pro bowl that would be ahead of Cordell. So, so you're telling me there's four guys that made at least one 
Pro Bowl that were ahead of Cordell Stewart since not in since 1986 yes. when this started in, in athletic right. scores. And I'll tell you this also: there's only one guy that goes way back. Okay, so out, okay. Out of the four, this there's is only great. One guy. I love yeah. I and love I'll trivia and I love the draft. I love draft trivia. Then um, I'm going to say Cam Newton is one of them. Correct. Because he had a freaky combine and he was massive. He's number um, one all time. Yep. Wow, number one all time. Is RG three? Correct. Yes. Because I remember he ran like four four three, and he had I don't know what he what he jumped, but I remember him having a crazy combine. So there's two more and one. Okay, when you say way back, are we talking like eighty seven, or are we talking? We're talking eighty seven. Yes, but you can get this guy because he was in the NFL forever. Randall Cunningham. Oh, that's a good pick, but it's not Randall Cunningham. He was too far back for this day. Oh, too far back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he okay, you here's okay. You wouldn't think of this guy as an amazing athlete because of your age. Because when this guy was playing and you would have seen him, he was like 40. Played for every played. team, super oh, big. Oh, oh, super big. But really tall, amazing hair, great name, played forever, played for a bunch of different teams. Jim Jets McMahon? drafted by the Bucks. That's a great. That's a great guess. But no, drafted by the Bucks was horrendous with the Bucks. Eventually shows up with the Jets. Is really good. Played for Dallas. Parcells loved them. Wait a minute. Are you Vinny Testaverde? Vinny Testaverde. Yes. Wait a minute. There must have been something going on with that combine. <laughs> Vinny Testaverde. Well, I think how you described it because Vinny Testaverde was a statue when I watched yeah. him play. Yeah, he had torn oh his Achilles my. like seven times by the time you got oh to him. Back in the okay. day, Testaverde wow. was a freak. Test, I did not know that. Um, okay, so then the, one the last one is more recent. Uh, it is more recent, but it was before 2000. And um, you are, we have talked about this guy on the show oh. because of his connection to the purple. Uh, Just think of the over. best Viking athlete quarterback. Dante Culpepper. That's right. My, Dante Culpepper. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, I'm surprised we got all of those that fast. Other guys that show up now, part of this with Vinny Testaverde might also be like height and weight. Like it, you know, it, it is. Yeah. That's factored in, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. a big part of it. So like Neil O'Donnell shows up on this. He was not an athletic quarterback necessarily at all, but he shows up wow. as like being huge. So does Elvis Gerback, but other guys. Andrew Luck's like, got to be up there too. Andrew Luck, yep, correct. He is uh, very close to Cordell Stewart, uh, which tells you exactly why you should look at the black and white of this and not the black and white, because Andrew <laughs> Luck is is an incredible athlete, almost close to Cordell Stewart. But Tyrod Taylor, Justin Herbert, here's one that totally shocked me. Matt Castle is a 95th percentile athlete on here. So crazy stuff in this world. Yeah, wild. Um Great, great debut here for draft season, Chris. Every week you will be here at Chris Trapasso on Twitter. And uh, I can't wait for this, man. This is about to be really fun. We we need to next episode, draft sim. Like it's gotta it's gotta Absolutely. really get going. Let's do it. Pedal to the middle. I think we should do one. I think we should just do like a quick one, like either at the beginning or end of like every because stuff's gonna happen. Like is Kirk Cousins yes. gonna get cut, traded, resigned? Absolutely. Are they gonna, you know, let's do that? Let's make the a part of every episode because I know the listeners love it and you love doing them. Like you do them I like really as you're going do. to bed every night, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. So thanks, Chris. And I'm looking forward to this draft season, man. All right. Thanks, Matt.